0: Firefox has been getting dropped more and more by companies uh, supporting it.
1: Yeah. See, honestly, that's a weird one because that's, yeah. I, I, you know, for all the proof that open source having many, many eyes looking at it and the fact that they have in so many ways the best security, very good speed, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they just decide, no, nope, three is too many. Let's go with two. And that's there's a sickness to that. You know what I mean? The fact that right. they have HTML5 and that they have kind of universal standards for how this sh- should work. Well,
0: that, oh. <laughs> it, it's it's still also, I mean, it could be open source. It could be a thousand guys working on it, but all those guys have families and day jobs. And so they work True. on it when they get a moment. Uh, and I'm not saying that's every project, you know, as opposed to Google who says, look, we want the 10 best programmers and we're going to pay you shit ton of money if you make this work <laughs> better. And uh, You know, that the reality yeah. comes down to that um, a lot of times.
1: You know, it's interesting that that is an interesting philosophical discussion to have because that has never changed from the the birth of open source. That people talk about that if you're kind of casual about it, that it might must by definition be less or lag behind or whatever. But the other the other thing would be Google itself says, "Hey, we want to have eighty percent of your time." of your time, work on whatever passion project you have and create miracles. And so that's how you're going to get Google Maps and Google Mail and stuff like that. Gmail is because someone said, I'm going to write the best gosh darn email client I possibly can. And just like Linux came to be because Linus Torvalds decided "I I can do this better. And it'll be a matter of personal pride, a matter of I have an obsessive nature. I love getting into the the bits and bites and the nits and the and close to the iron as I possibly can. And so, I guess it's kind of that. Is it is it, like you said? You you are the mercenary aspect. Hire the best you possibly can and put them to it. I wonder how much that actively compares to, to the 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 artiste, the person that does it out of passion and really doesn't care about money. They're motivated by. I have an operating system that runs 90% of the world's servers named after me. It's Linux.
0: <laughs> you know what true, I mean? True. So... <laughs> true. But, but when you get down to the software projects, you know, how many projects are started with good intentions and then abandoned or haven't been updated for five years? So it's totally agree. And you know? in fact,
1: it's kind of, boy, one of the biggest things that I had to deal with at Progressive when I was the you know, director of databases was like, we can't design this so that this one brilliant programmer has created a beautiful thing. But in the fiery bus crash scenario, we lose him. And then we, we, the, this part of our business dies because nobody can maintain their code because nobody can keep it up. So I was, you know, I was always of the, you need to maintain your, you need to like, hmm, I hate write only code. I hate like C plus plus with so much. Uh, in direction that someone can stare at their own code six months later and not figure out what they were trying to do. <laughs> Whereas if you do it with slightly less sophistication to what you're doing, but you let the very sophisticated compilers and linkers and that the, the people who are building those things have found a way to optimize every single thing you're trying to do. And it's not a matter of you mem- doing memory overlays that you might've learned 20 years ago when you're having to do that to make you good use of memory. It's, I was always kind of like, I'm going to design this and spec it out and and do the budget for it based on lowest common denominator programmers, because you kind of have to. You can't expect to always have stars. And this, sorry about this diss on Progressive, but I, got to, I went to Progressive right after having been in Silicon Valley. I did my two years out in California doing dot-com things. Oh man, (laughs) there was nowhere near the talent level at progressive that there had been in virtually everybody that I worked with in Silicon Valley. And so it wasn't only a philosophical stance on my part. It was, I got to work with what I have. I don't have stars here. I have one star, a department, one star, a division, and I can't count on all these important good things being done in over a weekend. I got to pull myself back to what I had really been spoiled by. And Trying not to be a jerk here one of the things i really had to fight at progressive was myself jumping in you know i was hired on as high level database like do strategic thinking and and try to make it so that all these parts of multiple database environments and you know sql server and and, um, udb uh oracle all work together and so my going in and saying let me write that sql server query a little bit better so that it'll be less expensive and run more, I continually had to say, well, I'll, I'll be able to show my people how to do it, but I can't I can't be in the habit of putting aside my other responsibilities and going back to being a tech geek. And then unfortunately, without going into it too much, it really ended up costing me be- because I was so conscientious about that, that <laughs> people started to be like, does he really know what he's talking about? It's like, wow, I... <laughs> Honestly, I could, like, code rings around you. I could – it was a very odd, kind of anti-humbling thing of, it's only because I'm choosing not to. It, boy, here. So, here, let's get back to, you know, have you ever seen Quigley Down Under? It just came on Netflix, and it's, you know, uh, Tom uh, – sorry, uh, Tom Selleck, Magnum PI, if you will, yeah, yeah. being a sharpshooter down in Australia. And it without any kind of going in any spoilers, he's hired for his skill with, like, the old – Long distance. I think it's even a Sharps rifle. I don't remember the exact brand, but he can, you know, shoot the wings off a flea at 500 yards or whatever like that. And then there's, of course, a big showdown and they don't realize that, you know, it's only because he prefers the rifle. He isn't like unable to do the gunslinging thing. Right. <laughs> and so, um, I, I just, that's kind of like when, when you decide to, to give yourself a vacation right. from what you have become good at, there's really an ego thing of, well, step aside, punk. I'll take care of this for you. And I tried to never do that. Two, so, right. Two, two things
0: with that. One, what you were just saying about the five-star programmers versus one, that's uh, going back to the Linux thing. When you're working with programmers on a project, you don't know their skill level. Some of them could just be very passionate, but be horrible and... Yes. That's why you have so many people working out, looking at code, but inevitably something gets through and you have problems. So it's not a perfect system. There are cons. Um, but I, I know I'm laughing because I know what you're talking about, like with people uh, that I'm helping with computers. Uh, it's like I, I have to think of how to talk to them so they understand what I'm saying, because I can't talk the way I would want to because it's way above their head. Uh, we were watching an old episode of Stargate and it had O'Neill and this other army guy and then Carter, who's the astrophysicist is like babbling this, that, and here's what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And the one looks at the air and says, don't even pr- pretend that you knew what she was talking about. He's <laughs> like, Yeah, she's way smarter than we are. And you know, laugh because they made it funny in that show. But it, the, there's so many times especially with computer stuff, even now, uh, you know, I'm trying to like, figure out how do I explain this database issue with this SQL statement and how to get it displayed on the screen. And I have this new, uh, whatchamacallit code to use and how it works. And, you know, I'm just like, well, it, it's kind of like getting a new set of wheels on a car. <laughs> you know, you got to figure something out. You have
1: to do a lot of things. You know, because coding is a lot of that. It's it's like um, analogies. You know what I mean? You're not you're not the way you're trying to. Um, virtualize what's going on here. You have to make it so that this data represents that thing and you're going to model it. So you include all the aspects of it that you want to deal with. But there's also some things that you say, I know that it doesn't include everything because it doesn't have to. I've already done enough of this kind of thing that if you're looking for, uh, I don't know, how to run a library, you don't necessarily have to account for every single field to get to workable quickly. And then every one of those additional like it's, it's kind of like, you know, when boy back when you used to do just pretty standard budgeting for program things, it was what's absolutely necessary. What are their trade-offs for how useful it is versus how much it'll take? And what are the, just the nice to haves And so much of um, talking with users as to how you're writing the spec and you're going to be able to get to this new system at Ameritech is, happened all the time. People didn't have a great way of virtualizing to get to what are those categories like, this thing that you're used to, it isn't really necessary. You just like it. And this thing that you, it's, it's difficult. And so you don't think about it a lot, but it's absolutely the heart of a cost accounting system. You have to have an ID that will not change at all anywhere that you go so that you can, you know, it and, and having to do that, that explanation and virtualize the explanation itself as to, you know, I, I need you to put a lot of thought into these concepts up front, what's easy, medium, and hard, and what's absolutely necessary versus we kind of like to have it versus it's just a frill-up, and then don't spend a moment on the screen has to be green because I like green. It, it, you know what I mean? It, it's right. And honestly, what's, what's interesting is it's kind of funny. This is the whole, like, the world of computing has changed. When you started to do Google engineering-type things, it was and maybe away from Google, towards the Internet, How did the internet come to be so successful? Because they didn't spec everything out perfectly before they even started. They just did things, tried things, and whatever got adopted by the most people became the de facto standard. And that worked fantastically for all kinds of protocols and screen layouts and all what it might be. And occasionally there was there were big debates about seemingly small stuff but it's because people had come up with solutions that were like 5149 there wasn't an obvious 8020 winner and so it was kind of cool to see again the the passion that people put into it or the stubbornness <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean yeah. you get, have you ever had a discussion about what editor to use with in the early days of computing
0: I remember Good those types Lord. of
1: discussions, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people that were just certain that it you know, and I, I don't even want to say them because it'll get really weird. People were certain that their not only their editor, but how they had set it up so that they had the color coding for the various different things on their screen, that they could see what was a variable and what was, oh, man, taking them out of their environment, it really made them angry. It wasn't just, well, what an inconvenience. It was like, this is a stupid way to do it. Nobody does this. I'm not just stepping down from <laughs> oh. the...
0: Oh I, man, <laughs> I, I love when the mouse came about and there were some diehards absolutely refusing to do anything on computers
1: with absolutely. the mouse. If I and, take my hands off the keyboard, I'm not doing it exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and I, I mean, nowadays there you can still do just about everything with keyboard, this, that, and everything, but really, there are times it's just so much quicker to take a mouse and zoop zoop and you get what you need as opposed to click this, hit this. It's, it's kind of like playing the Uh, new video games of the kids where i I just throw my hands up it's like okay hold this button and then hit this other one and while you're doing it push left and you'll get this action but if you hold that button push the other one to hit right you get a different action but if you then followed up with this other thing you i'm like oh my god i i I, give me a joystick and a button i'm good let me shoot little aliens (laughs) you know
1: and it's it's funny that's i I think that things go in cycles by that meaning what you just talked about the um When WYSIWYG first came to be, what you see is what you get, that that everything was visible on the screen in the font that it was going to be, or that just you could browse the menus and find out what all the uh, commands that are available are. Well, that was such a huge change. Back in the days of first word processors, you had like... WordStar that you had to be able to embed a whole bunch of different control codes in order to be able to get certain effects on screen, and you had WordPerfect where you had to get a template that you'd put on to where your function keys was, and each of those 10 function keys, depending on whether it was Control, Alt, or, you know what I mean, it had, oh, that's going to be the the same. That was big business. Absolutely, and that after a while, if you use it enough, your your hands got memory. You know what I mean? That you learn where things were on the keyboard. And then unfortunately, having to switch from WordStar or WordPerfect to Word, where they had standardized on a different set of things, I had all kinds of WordPerfect diehards that just, they weren't going to switch from their hard-earned knowledge that they had. And then it it was pretty efficient. You know what I mean? You really had the, out of those 40 characteristics of your function keys plus the uh, modifiers, you had the 40 most popular, most necessary things you had to do on your, but, but the advantage of, you don't have to guess what it's going to look like when you print it. It looks like right, it's going right. to look on the screen. It, and, and the joy of seeing different fonts for the first time that it wasn't just you either had a monotype or a variable type font. And then you could play, you know what I mean? It was, it was, there were clear advantages. And yet, and yet people get set in their ways. They get, especially that thing of once you know something and you really had to work hard to do it and bear with me. I don't mind. I hope you never mind popping around like we do. Oh, really? We do that? Really? So have you heard about one of the big successes about QAnon is that people have designed it so that it isn't about read this one doc and you'll learn all about it and we're done. That instead, they've gamified it. They've made it that all this information is scattered around the internet. And when you go looking and you come up with just the right Google search or just the right series of links that gets you to what you think is the treasure trove of the secret conspiracy that runs the universe, you've earned it. You've worked so hard to get to it that then you're loath to not believe it. You want to believe it because you've put so much into it. Oh, and there really is. You know what I mean? that? It is. And and the fact that they've learned how to gamify minds, these are all mimetic devices that make it so that your mind will retain. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be, it mattered to me. I want to share this with others. It's a meme that's like, hey, come and look at this cool thing that I learned about. And then you feel bigger because you get to turn other people onto it. So it's its own (laughs) self-fulfilling virus. I mean, that's the, before meme meant A picture with words on it. The way that it first originated was Richard Dawkins in his, you know, books about heredity and how evolution works talked about that there's lots of correspondence about how ideas pass through a population like a virus does, that it's infectious, that it jumps, that it can mutate and go to a different host, and that it doesn't matter whether it's good or not. There's no feature of the virus that gives an advantage. It just matters that it replicates with good if fidelity again and again, very quickly and very successfully. And so the more that I, this is, I hope, you know, a little bit of Cassandra weirdness. I I did a memes talk probably 20 years ago at a Mensa gathering when it was, okay, that's kind of wacky. I don't know that I want to believe that because I can see how that works for breakfast cereal ditties. The reason that everybody remembers Saturday morning cartoon show themes is because they were really great at writing those perfect little advertising jingles, those perfect little catchy songs. But it doesn't stop at catchy songs. It starts to be with political slogans. It starts to be with advertising. And it's not just, hey kids, buy some tricks. It's, I'm going to make a decision based on a car, based on, see the USA in your Chevrolet. Oh, my God. They found out how to penetrate to where it goes right to your reptile brain. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of getting to your, your processing center where you're going to make a choice based on fact. <laughs> right. Have you ever heard of um,
0: uh, now it's uh, guerrilla marketing?
1: Yes, uh, do, exactly. Do you, they try yeah. to make things go viral. They try to make right. it so that it's that the, and, the user is an active participant in their yeah. own selling.
0: You know, well, I mean? well, one so. of the things the guerrilla marketing uh guy, the guy who, you know, started writing all the books, uh, he told a story how him and other marketing people uh, were catching a cab to go somewhere and the cabbies chatting, Hey, so what do you guys do? They're like, Oh, we're in the market. And he says, Oh, I don't believe any of that stuff. They're like, Oh really? They're like well, what toothpaste do you use? And the guy said, "Blah, uh, such and such a toothpaste." They go, "Oh, why is that?" He's like, "Well, no, it's just because I really don't have time to brush very much, and I need it quick." And they laughed because that was exactly what the toothbrush company's slogan was on the commercials.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. That you know, long ago, even before the i the the memes penetrated if you will there was the idea of subliminal seduction there were a oh, yeah I like to talk different. on that exactly you know it's like they embed images in uh, advertising stuff that you don't know why but you find it very interesting very attractive and there were some like oh it's death. You know, there's little skulls in there because people, like, really are fascinated by that, even though they're scared by it. Fascinated doesn't have to be that you love it. It can be that you hate it. But if you see a scorpion, you don't stop looking at the scorpion until it's away from you. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, And, of course, there was sex. There was the word sex. There was, oh, no, is that like a little naughty couple in the ice cubes in this drink? And what's funny is they kind of, when advertisers thought they had to sneak it in on you, they were embarrassed themselves about the power they knew they had to plant an idea in somebody's head. And after a while, they just said, no, have a, a woman in a, a scanty outfit, climb on top of that car, and you'll see car sales go up. And so, you know, that whole thing of where they, the advertiser, and that's, that's kind of funny. I don't know why I have a block about this. There's a particular guy, probably like... There's a character in Mad Men named after him because he's so infamous that he was the first one to say, you don't have to sell a car based on what mileage you get or how safe it is. You just have to say, if you get this car, you get the girl.
0: What, what's and... the classic line? The, the, <laughs> the line is uh, sex sells. Yes, you know
1: exactly. And, and And just think of everything. You know, when they started to have, I don't know, shaving cream it wasn't this will give you a nice shave it was and then the woman comes over and can't help but touch your nice smooth face can't touch your you know and and it was for women as well you know what i mean that like if you if you uh guys have i'm I'm trying to say it wasn't only that it was all about guys are bow hunks that are going to just take you know this in and oh my god i'm program women have been sold forever on uh if you do this thing, your house will be nicer, your clothes will be cleaner, you'll be more attractive. And there's a lot of proof. Again, it's kind of funny to bring things into it. It isn't only rumor. They've done scientific studies that say, yep, this really works. And it works where it gets your attention without you really understanding why. And it works the more you see it, the more you internalize it. So you start to know, you can start singing, you know, um, I'm stuck on Band-Aids, and all the world knows what the next line is, as much as if there was the line in the Constitution about, hey, we have the right to vote. You know what I mean? Like, it should be that equally important.
0: (laughs) It's basic marketing 101 nowadays. You know, that's what they teach. They don't sell the features. They sell how it will make people feel. Uh, you, You talk about how you market is, what are the why would someone want to use this? Not what the features are, you know? And Absolutely. I and mean, the yeah. funny thing is, without even thinking about it, I see sometimes people doing it like on eBay. You know, they're not selling, oh, this guitar has six strings, you know, whatever. It's like,
1: uh, see. It's, yeah. it
0: plays as smooth as silk. And, you know, like, and it's on eBay.
1: It's between my breasts. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> you, know, <There> you, go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, and yet, and yet it works and it never stops working. So the the non-dark side of that is, you know, there's been computer companies, and Apple was an early one, where they really had design as part of what was going on. Steve Jobs knew that the way to get people to adopt these things wasn't only, and computers might have been one of those things that all early on, it was about specs. What's your, how fast is your CPU? How much memory do you have, et cetera, et cetera. But when you started to have a friendly face on your computer, it humanized it, personalized it. It made you have a relationship with it. And it, depending on what color it was, depending on, was it rounded contours? And instead of it just being beige boxes, they found a way to introduce design into it and in some cases it really mattered an ergonomic keyboard is so much better for avoiding carpal tunnel than a regular one how you hold your iphone and where they position the buttons so you get fewer false taps and you don't get like wrist craning and stuff like that because of how you hold it you know jonathan ivy is an amazing guy for having designed multiple families of products that really were very human oriented this is how you want to look at something the right that when they went, you know, as they got higher and higher um, um, number of pixels on the screen, it was because one of the biggest complaints was it's just too blocky and it doesn't move quickly enough. I want something that I I never have to um, know it's a computer. I want it to be, I'm watching a little movie. I want it to be that I hear the voice, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and that's so much of what we then designed computers to be, it wasn't only advancing the CPU. It was making sure that we got better and better audio and video and human factors, so that like everything about a um, haptic feedback when you're playing games that you get like a little bit of rumble in your chair or in your keyboard because oh my god you're taking fire and and that's obvious stuff. But there's even little other things like the, the fact you need to sometimes be on buzz you know, on on Vibrate as compared to on on an audio signal, well, they experimented with every single kind of buzz and they said, what's the one that's going to be welcome? And I get that I have something coming in as opposed to, oh, I just got electrocuted. And, And just, it's amazing how much they really put a ton of time into all that now so that most of the times when things come to market, they really are elegant they really are well thought out and integrated and they they're already like i need to sell this to a hundred million people it can't have any things where 50 million are going to say i hate that color so much i would never buy one you know what i mean and and why you don't know but they still <laughs> or it, it, i need to have pen colors so that if i know it isn't color that matters but it does matter to some people then at least I'll have six different colors so that I'll capture each demographic segment (laughs) that's based on chroma.
0: (laughs) It's funny you bring up and mention Apple in this regard because Apple has nailed down so perfectly. They know who they're selling to. And back in the day, Yes, uh, we're selling to computer geeks. Look at this processor speed. Look at the You don't see that anymore. I, most people that own an Apple could not tell you the specs at all. Of You're that exactly
1: Apple. right, Stephen. Exactly
0: go right. look at their commercials because they are masters. In fact, I've been working with a coach for writing and publishing, and he pointed me to several Apple commercials when we were talking about brand and identity. They're like, you know, what is Apple selling? They, they do commercials where they don't focus at all on tech at all yes you'll see people with an iphone doing something you'll see somebody with a mac sitting on the. but it's almost in the background because what they're selling is uh unleash your creativity uh you know this is a part of your life and you can be a a professional movie maker and you can unleash you know that has been their thing uh lately and just go watch their commercials look at the ones at christmas it's not about uh um we're, we're selling you an apple product we're selling you the the memories, the feel good. You know, they had the one where the Absolutely. kid was always on his iPad the whole Christmas time. And the family's always like, you know, Hey, get off that. No words. It's all music. And yeah. you just see the actions. And at the end he shows a video he made of their Christmas break exactly. on the iPad. And, and everybody's like, and, crying and stuff.
1: two seconds of fade out is the Apple logo. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You That's know what it. I mean? So that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, it's kind of funny. So, before i came to cleveland i was uh, lived in chicago and i was actually president of the rest of us it was the big mac user group for chicago and um we had all kinds of w- wonderful opportunities to have big people come and talk to our user group because we were so big and we were downtown so we were business legit if you will so we had bill gates we had like had you know um uh one of the guys that was so revealing about apple's brilliance was a guy named guy kawasaki i'm not oh, sure of yeah. And the big thing that he talked about was what does Apple have? It doesn't have a lead salesman, it has a lead evangelist. That his way of thinking about what you're gonna do with the Mac is continually look at all the good things you can do, look how much better your life will be, look at how you know there's yes. there's power and beauty and That's glory it. and wonder in this thing. And it wasn't, hey, let's narrow your choices on based on specs until uh, on balance, you need to go with the Macintosh. It wasn't selling any of those things. It was and that's the when experience. they brought Steve
0: Jobs back.
1: That's exactly right. You know, he had been one of the one of the early guys to get that that what the Macintosh was going to be about was it's much better to be a pirate than to join the navy. He wanted to do something that was revolutionary. And and and, still, and I know we're jumping around, but we're having our our as usual our threads reweaved together. Yes, he did get. The absolute most brilliant people, when you look at the list of who developed the Macintosh, Jeff Rask, I, I, it's kind of funny, you know, the, the, the things he picked up, often they talked about, like Don Engelbart was the guy to do the mouse at Xerox, if I remember correctly. And so they said, well, this is really a better input device. But how did the Macintosh come to be? Because they brought together this fantastic team of half a dozen, 10 people that were the best coder in the world, the best electronics guy in the world, the best font designer, like all then guys and gals. And so you really got, you. it wasn't only a boys club. It was really, there were people that were going to be every one of those Apple icons that were what they used to call, it's lickable. You know, it looks so perfect on screen that it's a very human reaction to, that's the perfect disc, the perfect little computer, the perfect dog cow, if I can like really geek it up for a minute. And... And to have them, like, they locked them away, you know, and said, see what we can do in the course of six months, a year. And that Skunk Works project might be the one of the most successful Skunk Works projects in the world. I'm sure they, you know, maybe, we'll see what would compare the Manhattan Project, you know what I mean? (laughs) We got to win the war. And and so I know I'm being kind of an ass in terms of saying it isn't, of course, anywhere near as important, but I'm not sure that I think that's true. The Macintosh changed the world, yeah. changed the world as we know it, just like the atom bomb did. And and in a lot of ways, as a weapon of destruction versus construction, maybe peacekeeping versus I don't know. It's arguable depending on what criteria you use. It was the most successful project. I, so. I wrote a small <laughs>
0: article about how uh, with the pandemic and everyone being on lockdown and the stress and everything with the politics and all that. And I was thinking, well, how the heck does writing fiction even counter any of that or not counter, but how does it seem important compared to all this big stuff going on? And I realized, I'm like, wait, it really does because people need that escape. They need that. And writing fiction could save lives. You know, if it de-stresses you, if it takes you to another world for enjoyment, you know, that that's important, you know, so what you're saying, and, and, I remember. I totally
1: agree, Steve. As much as they. Sorry, please go ahead.
0: No, no. I I was going to say, bouncing back to what you were saying about the icons and stuff, uh, do you remember Microsoft's counter to that was paperclip? Remember the
1: Clippy little- exactly, Clippy, which is yeah. still mocked to this day. You know what I mean? <laughs> Clippy comes up on the screen and says, "Hey, would you like me to misspell a few words and put it all in capitals so that they know you're a raving lunatic?" Right. You know that. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and I, I want to make sure we we point out and remember. And I know this is just superficially the circumstance of events, but right before Apple went bankrupt and folded, Bill Gates jumped in from Microsoft and helped them come back that, you
1: know? know that they that the the history of apple and how they as as it's kind of like there's analogies with you know beta max versus vhs and stuff like that that the superior product doesn't always win when you've got uh the ease of use the incredible installed base the cheapness there's all kinds of ways for a better product to just not make headway and yeah. apple wanted to be like the porsche of computers well you know porsche for all that it's Beautifully revered, it's still what half a percent of the market, and you can do that in the auto world and still be a viable company. Can't necessarily do that when you're trying to create an entire new standard. But all the peripheral makers are saying, "I'm going to make my HP." Says, "I don't know that I want to make you a printer." You know what I mean? I'm going to continue to make my ones for the Windows because I'm selling cabillions over here, right. and yep. the fact that you're using PostScript instead of anyway. <laughs> and I
0: know, I know. At that time, and even now, people would say, well, of course Microsoft wanted to do that because they didn't want to get hit with antitrust and having a monopoly, and they wanted to create, say, hey, well, now you have to use our products and this, that, and the other thing. Arguably, yes, I, that's business. I, I, I mean, I probably would do the same thing, but does that mean it was bad for the people in the market? I don't think so. But I really 100% believe, and you'll never convince me otherwise, that Bill Gates really did it because he knew it was a good thing and knew it, it even if it was competition for Microsoft because I'll tell you there is no bigger philanthropist on this planet than Bill Gates
1: and currently that's exactly true back then he was a very staunch business competitor yeah. but but yes even then he must have had some in him that says I'm not just about making all the money in the world. I kind of want to make the world a better place too. And why would I, like if this, if just like the Mac was the skunk works for Apple, if Apple is the proof of concept company for Microsoft, that I want to see how far they can go with WYSIWYG. I want to see how far they can go with better user interfaces and universal networking and all the cool things that Apple introduced. He was like, I can throw them a lifeline. I can give them money to develop. Ostensibly, Microsoft Office and keeps yeah. the company alive. But I don't know. A really smart businessman would have said, "I'm happy to see what they come up with, and then I'll do my own version. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll my embrace, extended and extinguish version." Yeah. But
0: <laughs> I, you know, I, I heard a, a a quote or a fact years ago that. Bill Gates was like the biggest philanthropist in the world. He wasn't the richest person, but the percentage of his income that he put into philanthropy projects was something like 60%. And people are like, well, of course he has tons of money. I'm like, but stop. Uh, all the basketball players have tons of money. You know, all, uh, all they're the not
1: other... curing yeah, yeah. river blindness in exactly. Uganda. Like
0: you know, that. that's right. If you go with percentage, I don't care if he's making a million or a hundred million or a billion. He's putting sixty percent of that money to the world and giving away. I've never heard of Bill Gates driving a gold Cadillac, or yeah. <laughs> maybe he has a big house. And he has a lot of tech in his house. But he also created one of the biggest companies ever. (laughs) So what would anyone else do? Uh, You know, a normal person would be taking cruises and, you know, all sorts of stuff.
1: Yeah. I've read some interesting articles about there was a particular inflection point, like maybe in the early 80s, maybe late 80s, where him, Warren Buffett, Ted Turner, a number of like, we've made it, we really own the world. Um, what are we going to do to make the world a better place? I don't want to spend my money like on a desert island. That's the only you know, livable place left on the planet. And so they all made like a vow to say, either right now or within my lifetime, I'm going to give away 90% of what I've made. And like you were saying with Bill Gates, 60 is a good uh, number. I don't know that, but I know that the Gates Foundation was created with vast amounts of wealth so they could take on those big problems. And the same with Buffett. And, and And it's kind of funny, some of the, Um, other mega titans read that and they were like, says Larry Ellison from Oracle, you know, screw that. I'm going to keep playing the game and all you've done is just give me a competitive advantage by now not being as much about making every dollar available. And and so, I've even then, back then when there were a whole bunch of anti-Microsoft things to be said about, are they winning by technology or by lawyers? Are they really doing a lot of extinguishing and not only creating, but That was a really good sign for we've needed um, Carnegie's and Ford's and MacArthur's to create. I made all this money, and what am I going to do with it? How about if I make libraries everywhere? How about if I send kids to school? How about if I buy land and give it as a national park? There was vision for the power of that kind of money that wasn't just, I want to have a gold-plated toilet. And and the the sickness of that sociopathic greed, they didn't have it. There still were others that did. And, and there so, still are, and there still are now. Yeah. You know what I mean. And so, so
0: that <laughs> do, do, you may have seen this too. Do you know who the biggest farmer is in our country? The the person that has the most farmland does the most farming
1: in the U.S. I, I don't. Bill uh, Gates. I, uh, Is it really? It is. So, he has the that's most. Just like Monsanto or some big farming. No, chemical combine that might no, have bought up because land because he's working on uh experiments
0: and to try and have better farming capabilities and how to get more quantity of produce and this and that so he can take it to Africa, he can take it to other countries. Uh, but he bought land here and he's got top scientists and stuff working on it. So that it's better for everywhere else in the world.
1: I mean, that's wonderful to know. And in fact, this is kind of funny. One of the things I've always admired about Bill Gates was he he's very good at not just saying, here's what I know. He's very good at looking at the world and saying, who else is doing good things? And what about those good practices, good inventions can I adopt and spread even further? So that makes perfect sense. And it's kind of funny. I don't know why I'm blanking out on names today. There's a famous scientist that's responsible for golden rice. You know, if rice is going to be the biggest crop in the world, but you find a way to get iodine into it so that you stop that um let's see which one is iodine? Goiter? What is it what does it prevent? I think goiter yeah, maybe, I think right? So. One of there's them. those that. one of those malnutrition diseases. You, you wanna you, you have to have vitamin C to avoid scurvy and those other things. And so the fact that we have, like, I don't know, chlorine in our drinking water, not to go down that weird yeah. conspiracy path. <laughs> you know, that's made it so that we, whatever used to happen with people's teeth rotting out of their heads over the course of their life, now that doesn't happen as much anymore. And same with this fine scientist. And so, coming back to Bill Gates, he must have read, you know, when you can do that kind of thing, that you find a way, not the, hey, I made a bunny glow way of doing DNA manipulation, but I can hybridize something that is this much harder in all environments so that if we're trying to stop the desertification of Africa, where the Sahara is spreading, we're going to make Trees, crops, something that can grow in difficult conditions, more arid conditions, you know, more um, not perfect pure water or combinations where there's salt and fresh. What can really do that? Can I get a, some mangrove DNA spliced into various other things? And the fact that you really have that ability if you're... Um, There's a great line in a Batman comic book where he's able to, you know, create artificial kryptonite. You know, you'd have to have millions of dollars and many years in order to be able to do this. Luckily, I had both. Right, right. (laughs) So Bill Gates is the closest we have to Batman. People wonder about, if you had that kind of money, wouldn't you want to, like, fight crime, make the world a better place, fix things that are systemically terribly wrong with the world? I think that Bill might have read some comics. So yeah. I think that he yeah. might be one of those well, geeks. Well, that, that he's really-
0: definitely
1: an Uber <laughs> nerd, I'll give him that. And
0: and better, yeah. I mean, everyone says, "Oh, he's a shrewd businessman." But yes, he definitely is. I mean, look at what he did. But he got there because he's like a freaking genius, genius. You know, he, he really is, is so smart and he did all of this and knew what to do and, you know, and now he's applying it in a very positive way. So
1: the thing I, I used to read that. about Gates was that he would take a sabbatical and he would go read like the top 10 science books, business books, you know, uh, uh, sociology books. And, and like a, a lot of what I got out of going to futurist conferences was you really had to have that ability to see that there's relationships between things that are not obvious, that there's, and, and that to find the golden path, the golden, it's a very bad way to put it. Global Business Network was really good about saying, you don't have to pick the way you want the world to be and force the world to conform to that. You can say there's 20 different ways in which the world can be a better thing. What are all the little incremental tweaks that I can make to existing systems so that the odds are good that I'll end up with a good outcome overall? It's not dictatorial. It's enabling. It's beautiful planning for the future, not in a manipulative way, in a just hedge your bets in all the right ways. And so that the fact that he's been really good at that, of saying like, I don't know. I, I just joined Gates Notes. I think it's called that, right? Where it's, he, the next thing he's taken on is climate change. You yes. know, the, the, and, and honestly, he's been working on it for a while, but now he's really kind of formalized. This is one of the biggest problems that we're facing and we have to do something about it. And so all of what he's done to learn more about um crops and how to how to handle how we grow those things so that they're less resource intensive how, to, how are we going to handle our energy grid how are we going to handle the vast weather changes that we've brought upon ourselves you know it it's very cool that he's now formalizing like uh, this kind of kind of needs a big name behind it even the former head of nasa scientist wasn't a big enough name to get Everyone to say we got to be dead serious about this. Even the vice president of the United States, Al Gore, was not big enough oh, to be able to get.
0: He already did. <laughs> you know, he invented the internet. He's good, done enough for us.
1: <laughs> See, so why a mock? You know what I mean? He's another guy that he's just so amazingly bright, and that's that's exactly what the jerks use to dismiss him instead right. of saying. Right. He's only five times as smart as you, so you have to some. Not you, everyone that says know, those kinds I know, I know, of things, know. you know. And it just, it's just weird that that's the people that have a defense mechanism of maybe for once we should have listened to the experts because now we're counting on the smart people to fix the world again. Yeah, you know but the idiots to listen. things up, and even if they don't want to listen, now it's like, well, now we know all your tricks. We know that you're going to deny facts. We know that you're going to try to suppress the vote. We know that you're going to continue to. It, now we know that the smart people have to not only be smart, but cunning.
0: Yeah. That, it,
1: one of the, there's a great quote about that. You know what I mean? That sometimes villains are um, really chagrined when they find out that um, good people can be smart, too. Because right. they're used to doing everything as a scam. You know, is there anything that Trump has ever done that wasn't with the assumption that he's going to be able to put one over on you? I'll lie to your face and then bring the lawyers in to make sure that I take no repercussions right. from it. So... He's not the only one doing that. There's been crappy people forever trying to not not give value for value. And hey, everybody should read the Repairman Jack books because they're all about that. That it's not about how can I get up on you? How can I fake you out? How can I pad my expense report? That if I do a good thing and you pay me like money that is worth what it should be worth, The whole world gets better because of that. There's a virtuous circle instead of a vicious circle. Yeah. You
0: know what I mean? It's the light side and dark side and the dark side isn't stronger.
1: (laughs) And but but that and that it sure is that a lot of people are, however, seduced by the dark side. That if 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 they lied and got out of trouble, they now have a pattern for the rest of their life is I'm gonna try that lie again. I'm gonna sneak around, I'm gonna find a way to deflect blame. I'm gonna find a way that I'm not gonna make anything of my own, but if I'm the one that's taking in the stuff and I can wet my beak a little bit at everybody else's expense, but they'll never know. Cause it's only a little, but I still got something for nothing. You can see the various different like kinds of villains <laughs> that have been created by kind of parents being crappy parents and not coming down early with you don't lie. You don't cheat, you don't steal, and you don't tolerate those who do. That's why that's in the Marine, uh, you know, uh, uh, slogan. I think it's the Marines, right? You know? And so, Wow. For all, and this is interesting for all that I hear from the supposed virtue quats, that the failings of the United States are based on, oh no, bad music, oh no, bad video games, oh no, swear words. They're based on so much of what you do has been a scam forever. And you yeah. offer nothing for the money you take in. You and funny how as much as you might be taking in money and you're happy to extol, well we have food drives and we have, you know, things that go to other countries and help. But the ratio when you look at the various different charity sites that tell you how much money is really getting spent they're terrible for all kinds of virtuous supposedly charities that the people at the top are just raking in money and they oh, yeah. their gold acts like yeah. you laughed about, and you know all you need to do is see one more overhead shot of Joel Osteen's compound. It's like, wow! I I hope all those folks who paid up for their salvation know that this guy has been a terrible parasite on their body for yeah. a long time, yeah. Yeah. and sorry if I'm going to get a suit over this, but I don't I yeah. I don't, I don't get sued over telling the truth. You right, know what right, I mean? Right. Like, there's all kinds of expose books that talk about, wow, these people are really making out.
0: <laughs> well, all I got to say for that is, is what you were just all saying is Star Wars is life.
1: You know, <laughs> you can relate it back to Star Wars. You know, I guess George Lucas was really good about making a parable. It wasn't just a science a fiction movie. It was, here's here's the world. You know what I mean? It, it's that, that you do have choices to make. When people ask, often ask me about, you know, why do I read comic books or like heroic fiction in general? It's because I've always thought that was a really good thing to learn to know, like, if you're in that moment of choice, if you're in that pressure point, would you, would you choose the right or not? Right. You know, would you stand up or would, or would you? you Cow slip, according to Eminem. Exactly. And, and just that, you know, would you put on the mask or would you? Oh man, it's just. Yeah, I think that that's some of the stuff that maybe the reason we should still have that in the curriculum is because it's not only understanding the human condition, it's also what's the ideal of that and how do you aspire to be right. a good person and, in a tough world? And you liking what I mean, back to
0: what we were saying with Bill Gates, you know, I mean – he was a shrewd businessman, but then he turns right around and saves Apple and, you know, look at all the stuff Apple's done since then. And now he's doing all this stuff with philanthropy and that he's a smart, smart man, but he's not the villain. You know, I mean, there are people nowadays we hear about that are much worse. <laughs> and
1: Absolutely.
0: what you were saying about Bill reading all those books and, you know, putting the pieces together, that is Kinda how the whole Mensa IQ test goes. It's not if you've got you know your Jeopardy trivia memorized. It's uh, the analyzing, the analytical. That's how they're measuring it. And man, we could go into an argument and discussion on genius and what constitutes genius and who should be considered genius. Right. But in this particular case, that's you know how it's quantified. Is here's you know what you did, and that man he he knows how to do it,
1: and he's. You know. I, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I love learning about that. You know, one of the, being a smarty for, from early on, I was curious as to, well, why, you know, what do I have that other people don't and how does it evidence itself? And it wasn't just, okay, I retain better. I have a good memory. It was, I see things quickly. I find those patterns right. relatively quickly. I make pretty accurate um guesses and maybe predictions based on, incomplete data, then instead of being trapped in the, I need to have A goes to B goes to C, I can have fuzzy logic kind of built into my head. And, you know, early on when you're like making a good guess about, and and kind of, in, I'm, I'm I don't want to give crappy examples. There are some things where the first time you have an adult kind of like look sideways at you as you just said something that you really shouldn't know how that works yet. <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. i was aware of all of those things when i was early understanding music and understanding Kali will tell you one of the weird ways that i'm evidencing this all the time nowadays is we're watching tv and i'll like say the next line of dialogue right and it happens all the time nowadays and not only on a scripted thing where you could say you know you watch enough episodes of agents of shield and you know kind of what's going on right. but if even it's like, written well if it's written well, exactly. But also, like, we're watching The Baking Show. And I'll be like, I, I continue, not continually, because I don't want to, you know, one of the odd things you have when you decide that you're the Messiah and you see all the future is that you remember all the times it worked and you dismiss all the times it did. not Yeah, so yeah, of course, yeah. I do it all the time, I probably do it 10% of the time. But it sure isn't zero or one. It's often enough nowadays that it's really kind of weird, and I will look over her and say, pook I don't know where this is coming from. I have no idea why I'm so weirdly tuned. Is it, Have I reached that critical mass of, I've now watched enough TV and read enough books and listened to enough music that I kind of know what the next thing should be, or at least I make enough a good enough guess. And it's also, you know, if you get it where it's like 50%, 80% right, you just missed one word, it still is. I don't, I don't know that I want the world. that is everything in the world now? I'm the spoiler? That if I just say <laughs> yeah. something, I'm going to wreck it. So I have to be quiet. So it's a little weird. Yeah. But
0: you can't that, even get, stop it. Well, or, here, how about this one? So, so you, if you're, you're talking with people, you have a topic kind of, like we do. Oh, this topic, it merges into this other topic and then something else, and you're going on. Then you get to like the fourth or fifth topic. And someone says something and you make a comment, but it's because it ties it back to the first topic. And then everyone looks at it like, what are you talking about? I'm Like, well, because we talked about this and they're like, how did you put that together? I mean, it wasn't until recent years that I started catching that happening more often. And I'm going, don't you people see how it all ties together, what we're talking about? You know, so, OK.
1: I think it's a matter of capacity. Like I've read in the Times that you can remember like three things um relatively well long time long term and seven things short term. Well, well, I don't seem to have that at all. Like like you've laughed about when I'm at um let's say a, a Mensa gathering and people are sitting around the table and I not only hear what's being said at the table, but there's also snatches of conversations from elsewhere. And once in a while I'll walk by someone and I haven't been eavesdropping, but I'll say, by the way, the author of that book is this and they'll give you that look for like, how in the world? are you psychic? Do you you really have like ears that catch every conversation in the room? And I don't think I do, but I know that I have some weird thing that I get to push things onto the stack and have multiple stacks so that I have all kinds of things that I can say, chime in with, compute on, et cetera, et cetera. And then when they come off, I can offer them. And it really might, as you just said, come across as weird. We're like, hey, we we kind of talked about that 20 minutes ago. Yeah, but it still matters because this thing is a really good way of tying that back to here. And there's an elegance to that of bringing it so that it it kind of comes not not full circle and not knotted, but that you really were paying attention. I think one of the best gifts I can give my friends is to really listen to them and to not think only of what I'm going to say next, which is kind of the impression of what I just said. But honestly, all that's going on in the background. I'm not, tuning people out while I'm trying to think of what to say, I'm taking it all in. And I have this very interesting set of, like, I have a multi-processor background processing system that is always offering up, here could be a good joke. Here could be a good reference. You know yes. what I mean? Here, here's what you say um, in in empathy. Wow, that must be really hard. And it's not that I'm faking it. It's not that I don't feel the empathy. It's just that it. I get all these offers and... It's very interesting to choose which one to say. And that sometimes you're very, like, happy you didn't say something because then somebody else said it anyway and you didn't want to cross as the know it all. And sometimes you're happy that you saved it for later because then they're especially tickled by. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it can be both frustrating and satisfying to have. You
0: got to uh, figure out things what things to
1: say in the right right group.
0: I know when Gina and I were first dating a lot of times at some point, she started like turning to me and say, well, what is this? What do you think? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never ran into this or seen that or whatever it would be. She goes, but you like seem to know everything. Don't you know this? And, it? And, I, and you think about it and it's not like I'm trying to be a know-it-all. It's just, I think my brain can see things and in context, analyze it and pick up clues or whatever. So I can Sometimes it's wrong, but I can make judgments, you know, like like you know at least have said, a,
1: a next step to what I want to think yeah. about and inquire about yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah,
0: you know, like Stargate, you know, they're going to another planet and Carter starts spewing off that. Oh, well, that makes sense that this plant is like this because the people do this and the atmosphere is like this. And Jack's like, Do I need to shoot it? You know, I mean it's just those two different ways of analyzing. <laughs> exactly. You know, she's never been there, she's never seen it, but based on The knowledge she does have, she can make an educated guess on what something is, and and Gina will like well turn to me. Well, what what is this? And I'm like, well, hold on, let me let me look at it a second. You know,
1: exactly. What's so what's interesting about that is that it can be one of the things I say often nowadays is, and maybe because I've had this interesting predictive ability for a long time, but I just kind of kept it to myself or I kept it low level. But I've always enjoyed any movie song whatever that can surprise me because after you get really good at it it is a little bit just like going through the motions and i don't mean to be dismissive in that way but it it isn't as satisfying as wow i did not see that plot twist coming right. and i often do and so how smart how what craft what what how interesting that they were able to Take me down the primrose path and and they knew where they wanted me to go. And then they do that perfect rug pull where it's not, well, that's not fair. It's more like, oh, that's so crafty that you got me to go that way, even though you laid the clues. And you know, I often get that little, do you get this? Where they have at the end of the usual suspects after the reveal and the policeman character is like looking at the bulletin board and he is seeing all the things that uh uh the the suspect had said and realize this whole movie has been a tissue of lies and so often it'll be when i when i get the the big reveal in a cool show it'll be that i kind of have these flashbacks and say that's where that yes it wasn't really a vampire yes it was you know someone did there were two copies of it and whatever else those things might be it's like so it wasn't unfair it really makes all perfect sense but they were really good at misdirecting my attention or you know what i mean i love it has to be
0: has to be done very well and well crafted because just changing
1: terrible yeah yeah you know
0: And that's one of the things I've been, Gina has been rolling her eyes at me because I've been delving more into story and analyzing story and craft and all that, obviously. So we'll watch something. And like the other night, again, Stargate, there was an episode we were watching and I start ranting about, okay, wait a second. They said they had to do this particular thing for this reason but they're not doing that at all. And they totally (laughs) forgot about it for the big climax. I'm like, honestly, it kind of ruins it for me now because they didn't follow through with what they promised and what they said they were going to do. And it's really a good exercise for me as a writer, because I'm like, Oh, okay. I see, you know, they said this, that and the other thing, but then they didn't, do that later and follow through with it. So it really kind of ruined it, and I can see how that makes things not. And and now it's it hurts. It's great way we look
1: at it. You know what I mean? That that you're you're wanting to have resolution, and then they have this glaring miss yeah. that they. Yeah. Wow! Wow! And, and yeah. they did
0: it solely for the purpose to have a big emotional climax to the episode. But I'm like, well, actually, it kind of takes away from it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's just bad writing, lazy writing. Now, yeah. forgive them, you know. I know, trying to do a weekly TV show, sometimes it's like, uh, oh, just do this. We got to move, you know. Right. I get right. that too. But but it's you a know, good exercise for me as a writer.
1: I was in debating high school, and so it's not the cool things you're talking about with story and being a good writer, but it has enough similarity, you know, part of what you do while the debate was going on is you had a flow chart as to what did they say? What did you see in response? How are you offering the right amount of evidence to win the point? And and one thing was, however, you had to at least respond to almost everything that some things weren't easily just summarily dismissed. It would count against you if you hadn't responded to everything. And so that kind of thing of wanting to make sure that there's closure on every point, or at least that there, it, it makes sense, not only in the debate context, but in the story context, because sometimes you don't know what the judge, the reader, is going to say, that really was important to me, and then you let it fall on the floor, you know, so there's any, and sometimes it's a matter, a little bit of... Uh, there's many number of comic book series that they only had six issues and they didn't get to everything because they thought they were going to go to 12. And then you're left handi- hanging because it got truncated, not right. clumsily unresolved. But when you know they made choices and like whatever people have told me that I really should watch the series lost. I've never seen it because early on it came to me as if it was a little too random, a little too let's just try this. Yes. And that many people at the end to my kind of ugly satisfaction they were like yeah in the end it made no sense in the end it, there was all kinds of unresolved what the hell about the polar bear what was the hatch you know what i mean i can drop references if i know what's going on but there was all kinds of stuff that they just part of the show was as if it was dream logic that it doesn't have to make any sense it just kind of jumps from scene to scene or things matter but then they don't and they morph from one into the other and i don't know was- i don't find eight scenes of that Super it satisfying. Somebody,
0: it was somebody that wanted to make Twin Peaks, but they weren't
1: David Lynch. <laughs> Interesting. So you that know? level of skill didn't really right. – from what I – is it Lindelof or David Lindelof? He's made other good movies, and so I don't know why that particular series – did it go on too long? Did it go on too short? I'm right. not sure what was the miss there. You know what I, I, think, I mean? But uh,
0: I think yeah. arguably they had an idea. But they didn't do a long-term plan. In the and again, getting back to writing and publishing, you know, a lot of the biggest authors uh, tell you you should outline, you should plan, especially if you have a series, because you. See, get that's what book. I would
1: have to do. I want yeah. to have an idea of where right. things are going, I can lay the seeds early, or so that I can have my characters be consistent, or that if they make a change, it's based on real reasons or trauma, not just oh he's different in this right. book. Why? What and, the hell? And little <laughs> yes. things you throw in book one
0: that resolve and come back in book four. You, you can't plan for that once you get to book four. And I think Lost missed that, that they had an idea and then they're like, oh, this is popular. Well, let's do this. And then it kind of went off the rails and they didn't have a goal and a plan they were working toward.
1: Yeah. It, that's I'll tell why. you, that's one of those shows that nowadays I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm still curious. People really were entranced by it for years and years. But then I look, it's like, wow, like 90 episodes or something. Am I really going to put 90 hours into this? I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ever going to. And even in lockdown, you know what I mean? This, the pandemic has solidified for me. Even if I had all the time in the world, there's some things I'm never going to end up yep. watching. Yep. You know, as, as much as I used to like cheers, I thought it was funny, but there's like 300 episodes of it. And when Colleen and I started to watch it again, it was like, ugh, that's like four laughs in a half an hour. I want, there's 30 laughs in it. Right. And I want. I don't want there to be more to it. I don't want it to be. There's so many jokes yeah. are about how stupid someone is. So many jokes are of the bad choices you made while drinking. That doesn't that doesn't impact my life. You know what I mean? I'm right. just not about those things. So anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: So all right. Well, hey, uh, we've gone quite a while because we started late. We've got like you 10 know. minutes of test audio we could use if we wanted.
1: <laughs> you know, as always, I love that we even though we jump around, it's not random. It isn't that we just kind of like non sequitur after non-secret and that both of us are left reeling. It's a delight to see where your mind goes and to, to go there with you and to like have fun with the things that we enjoy and that it kind of like you don't know why sometimes they're interesting or entrancing to us, but they are and there's something worth investigating that. So understanding that you are a smarty and that gives you like powers, but also responsibilities to go with Spider-Man for a moment. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just it's it's i i love that we're still doing this and i love that i don't see it ever having to stop i get the same charge out out of this all the time so well i didn't get to it this week
0: but i definitely have to tell you about my cheesy writer next week very good that's the the cliffhanger (laughs) for the week
1: by the way check into as you know we we might have a possibility doing a live podcast from the date damnation's RG, but depending on what they're doing, as to whether it's going to be a three-day or a one-day, and if your Saturday is really too full, then I will beg, take that, you know, I think that's what we want to do, right, is that I'll be doing a presentation, but if it doesn't work because you don't want to, like, overschedule yourself and have Adam waiting for his birthday on this silly thing, I'll take us back out of that because you know that there's still things coming up from Columbus, from Cincinnati, from Chicago, from Pittsburgh, we'll be able to offer this kind of thing, even if not physically live we can do this thing this cool thing and based on the theme of most RGs anywhere I think that we really got good feedback from both Chicago and and uh, yeah, Cincinnati exactly so I'm happy to share this you know very cool all right man Cheers. bye good See luck you. with your Mac <laughs> He you know, seems to be like the fact that he didn't crap out on me while we were doing this live right. podcast, exercising its audio and video. And, and oh, I'm, I'm doing the sure. thing. fact <laughs> that my hard drive, my main hard drive, where all my life lives, is good and intact and fine really matters. It was really a very good few moments. You know what I mean? So. Good oh. All right, later. You have been listening to the
0: Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.